0: Subway Sports Talk. Dan, Dan,
1: Dan, clear of the closing doors, please.
0: All right, here we go. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. Thank you so much as always for tuning in to SST. SST. On Apple Podcast app, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we appreciate you the same. Great episode at hand today because of the electricity in the sports world over the past weekend. And most of that electricity did not come on a field or a court. Instead, it came in the likes of the NBA draft, the MLB trade deadline. And now, NBA Free Agency, which at the time of my recording of this has only been live for about five hours or so, and yet there's been a number of moves, yet the Knicks might be just about done, especially with their big moves. Now, I don't know how you may feel about said big move, if we want to call it big, it is big in the sense of uh, the dollars that are attached to it, but there's more to that than just meets the dollar total. And I'm obviously talking about Evan Fournier, who is signed to a four-year deal nearing $80 million, which uh, sounds like a whole, whole lot when you hear that number. The total was 78, but which will be a trend as we talk about the Knicks in their free agent escapades here. It wasn't a true four-year deal where all four years were guaranteed. In fact, the fourth year is a team option, which puts this deal at the three-year mark, which goes hand-in-hand with Alec Burks' deal, three years, with Nerlens Noel's deal, which is three years, Derek Rose, which is three years. So there seems to be a trend there with what the Knicks are doing. Now, what that is exactly is probably not what Nick fans want to hear, but it is likely the right thing to do. Keeping that cap sheet clean with tradable contracts, not taking the big four- or five-year swing on a player who doesn't truly deserve it. Instead, and you could argue too much money for Evan Fournier, for sure. I can hear that argument. We'll talk about it in a minute. But instead, they're trying to maintain flexibility, build off the year that they had just last year where they were way above expectations and above mediocre. They were a good team last year. They turned out to not have all the juice when it came to playoff time. but That's okay because the step in the right direction was still very much so made, right? But there's other stuff that's going on. I do want to talk about the draft too. So I'll get back to the free agency stuff. I did kind of have to just say that off the jump as it is so fresh in my mind and fresh in the minds of so many listeners here and my friends alike, people on Twitter, people texting me, Evan Fournier, what do we think? Evan Fournier, too much. That's crazy, right? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't happy about it. It wasn't the guy I wanted to sign, I'll tell you that much. But to sit here and say it was all this and that, you know, it may not be all bad or as bad as, you know, we want to say initially. But with that being said, let's talk about the NBA draft. So, you know, you could argue with the draft that there was a lot of stuff that went unexpected, perhaps uh, leading with Scotty Barnes going above Jalen Suggs. But when you really come down to it and you hear about all the guys who, who do this for a living, who know the ins and outs, who talk to the front offices, Toronto was doing their due diligence on Scotty Barnes the whole time. And they really liked him. And he was a great player. And just expected to go fifth, if not fourth. Not that huge a deal. Jalen Suggs to the Magic is what a wonderful pick for the Magic. A guard who can truly do it all. A guy, a, a player that the Magic have longed for, for for a while now. Seems like they've only had players who are good at one thing, if, if that. You know, Josh Giddey, perhaps higher than we thought. The Warriors actually holding on to Jonathan Kaminga was a bit of a shock as well. But all in all, It was a good good draft with a lot of trades. And now as we segue into the Knicks-specific part of this draft, it gets a little bit shady here, and it gets a little bit confusing because they had 19 and 21 going in, and there were great rumors going around that the Knicks were going to do whatever they could to move up to maybe 10, 11, 12, 13 range, right, and look for a guy like Chris Duarte amongst others who they had interest in. They didn't do that. In fact, they did the complete opposite. They went ahead and didn't pick 19th. They didn't pick 21st. They moved out of both of those spots. They moved to 25 to take Quentin Grimes. Then uh, they got to 32 from one of those other picks and moved out of 32 and picked 34 and 36, right? So when you hear about it at the end, there's some reason to feel good about that. But let's talk about in the moment. For us Knicks fans. What a buzzkill. What a weird draft night where there was a decent bit of excitement for the possibility of trading up for the possibility of getting some guys at 19 and 21 to really help this team. And they trade out at 19. You're like, ah, oh, man, what a buzzkill. They trade out at 21. Like, oh, seriously. we're so excited for this first round pick. Well, they get back in at 25. They get a guy who they must've liked in Quentin Grimes, who, if you don't know much by now is a solid seemingly solid wing who can do a little bit of everything is not going to be a special playmaker. He's not projecting to be some sort of lead scoring option, but, and I hate using the term three and D, but he fits that mold of being able to stretch the floor, do what it takes to make the right play on offense and grind on defense and be that type of player that the New York Knicks are getting accustomed to here, playing hard defense and hitting big shots. So that's a nice little pick. Moving on from there, they picked Rokas Djokobitis uh, out of Lithuania at the 34th pick. Now, he is under contract in Europe for a little bit, so we're not sure when he is going to come over, but he will be playing in Summer League, so we can get a peek at Rokas soon, uh, as soon as next week. And a pick that basically saved the draft from my perspective. Now, if you listen to my podcast that I recorded on Wednesday night, releasing on the day of the draft Thursday, Miles McBribe was one of my guys. In fact, I would have been incredibly happy if the uh, Knicks went ahead and picked him at 19 or 21. And they got him at 36. That's a win to me. Now, I know this wasn't a splashy draft for the Knicks. They didn't get the Duarte guy that they may have longed for at that 11 to 13 range. They didn't get a Davion Mitchell who was super hyped up coming out of college they didn't sneak up for the high upside 6'8 point guard out of Australia like Josh Giddy. and they basically had no chance of getting anyone above that, right? So all that being said, yeah, there could have been a guy or two that you might have liked. Maybe it was Trey Murphy. Maybe it was Zaire Williams who ended up going way higher than expected. Maybe it was Cam Thomas, who I'm personally not a huge fan of, who ended up in Brooklyn, who actually fits there better than anywhere else he fits in the league as a pure scorer. Miles McBride was one of my guys. In fact, the only guy who I liked in that range more than him ended up falling even further down the ranks. And that's Jared Butler who ended up uh, being said to have some injury issues as well, which is why he fell. So yeah, the splash wasn't there for the New York Knicks on draft night, but you think about what they ended up with, what they walked away with future assets, guys at controllable, uh, price points picking at 25 and 36 in the draft two guys who have Possibly what it takes to play minutes this year coming in Miles McBride if you're not aware is a six two point guard with a six nine wingspan who can truly run an offensive show He shot the ball extremely well at the college level And facilitated well enough to average five assists at the college level, which is very solid He grinds on defense out of West Virginia. That's what you come to expect. And he seems to fit this mold of the New York Knicks perfectly. The only issue I will say I had with Miles McBride is he is not an incredible finisher in and around the rim. Now, he does make up for it with the floater game. The mid-range jumper is very strong, and he shot 40% from three with a nearly 80% free throw percentage in college, which projects him to become a good NBA shooter by those metrics. So, yeah, I did not love his finishing ability at college when I watched all his tape I could find on YouTube, but all the other stuff that he did really made me feel good. Plus, he had that thing that people like to talk about when they're talking about prospects coming out of college, the if factor, the not being afraid of the moment, taking on the big defensive assignment, whether it be Cade Cunningham or whoever the other team's leading guard is, he's up for the challenge. He's up to take the big shot. In fact, fact, he's ready to let it fly from three off the dribble, catch and shoot. He has the whole three-point shooting bag in his game. I swear I would have been thrilled if the Knicks didn't make any trades on draft night and they picked 19 and 21 and they picked Miles McBride at either of those spots. I would have walked away happy. I put it on the Instagram at Subway Sports Talk. I said it on this podcast. I was like, this is the guy who I like. I like J- uh, Jared Butler just a little bit better. I would have been happy with him too. Obviously me not knowing about the injury concern that did end up coming up. That was a good draft night for the Knicks. No splash, no dramatics, no crazy moves. In fact, I think Leon Rose is infatuated with moving down. He loves it <laughs> to a point of like, I was sitting there with Alec. We're watching the draft. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Are we going to make a pick? Are you going to walk out of here with no picks? This is crazy. You never expect something like that. But if you think about their process and what they stayed true to, if like me or like I thought, they liked Miles McBride and they kept looking around this draft and said, hey, you know, we don't need Cam Thomas who ended up at the Nets. We don't want Usman Garuba as a defensive uh, four who has some upside out of Spain. You know, we don't believe in Josh Christopher. We don't like Keon Johnson who we thought for like two seconds was actually the Knicks pick at 21 before the trade was announced. You know, he's raw and we don't like his skills as much as athleticism. If those are all true, then their process absolutely checks out. And that's why they could be given an A grade on this draft. With the hand that they had and the cards they ended up playing, I don't know how you can argue they could have done much better. Now, obviously, there's the possibility of Quentin Grimes and Miles McBride both not panning out in the NBA. And then we can turn around and change that A to a D-minus or whatever you want to say. But if those guys were high enough on the board where they considered picking them at 19 and 21 and they got them at 25 and 26 with a draft and stash 34 all in the mix, that checks out to me as an incredibly solid night for Leon Rose and the Knicks. And Knicks fans, I think you should be excited about Miles McBride. There's a reason now for the Knicks fans to watch Summer League on August 8th, which is way too soon. I cannot believe that Summer League is like a week away. It's rude, and I'm not ready for it, but you best believe I'm tuning in to watch Miles McBride, Quentin Grimes, and Kevin Knox, and Emmanuel Quickly. Kevin Knox chose to be on the, uh, the Summer League team. He wanted to be there. He wants to show out. Now, who knows? If that's a good thing or a bad thing, usually a third-year player in the summer league means one of two things. One, it's his last straw, which it very well may be for Kevin Knox. Or two, it's somebody who just hasn't even been in the league or they bounced around to six different teams in three years and they're just happy to get an invite to a camp, right? Kevin Knox is in that first one. It might be his last straw. It might be one of his last opportunities to prove that he's making strides. And in fact, there were strides made from his shooting numbers last year to have proven maybe he has some juice. Maybe he isn't a complete bust like all of us Knicks fans believe he may be. right? So that's where the Knicks are at as far as the draft. Let's talk about free agency. I'm going to go to the Knicks first before I rapid fire a few things uh, across the league here. We brought back the guys I think we needed most. We lost Reggie Bullock to the the Dallas Mavericks. Maybe you can argue Quentin Grimes is somebody who can replace those minutes. Maybe you can argue Kevin Knox can grow into some of those minutes. I know Reggie Bullock was a great nick last year, played a big role, very solid, shot the ball incredibly well all season long, guarded uh, very well all season long and in the playoffs. But let's be honest, Reggie Bullock is not the game changer that other wings in this league could be. He's a solidifying wing who does a good job. Losing him is not the end of the world. In fact, I would have rather lost Reggie Bullock because I think he's a little bit more replaceable than what Alec Burks brought to this Knicks team last year, which was shot-making in the clutch when they needed it most. Nerlens Noel, similarly, played incredible defense when Mitchell Robinson was out, and I think we see him at his best when he is in that 18-minute range backing up Mitchell Robinson or another starting center for that matter, which will be Mitch for, for the time being. Same thing with Derrick Rose, one of the most important players. Could be argued the most important player on the Knicks outside of Julius Randle, of course, who was an All-NBA player. And also could be argued the most important player just flat out come playoff time where Julius had a tough playoff run. You know, RJ was fine in the playoffs for a guy in his first playoff experience. Derrick Rose was the man everyone on that team looked to when they needed to slow down the offense when they needed to get a bucket when they needed to just simply make the right play and and followed his lead from when he stepped on the freaking market when as soon as he stepped into New York he made an impact from a culture standpoint to an on the court standpoint bringing back Derrick Rose unanimously approved i think by the eyes of Knicks fans and if you don't think that i don't know what to tell you 3 years 43 million We can live with that. A very deserved contract for Derrick Rose, who, if he didn't end up starting or if he played more games on the Knicks, easily could have been in the the six-man-of-the-year conversation. Now, the last straw here, and may not be the last straw. There's still some wiggle room. There's still some opportunities for the Knicks to sign someone else, which we could talk about in a moment. But the last thing that's happened to this point, 11.30 p.m. on Monday night, Evan Fournier signs Four years, $78 million, with the fourth year being a team option. That averages out to about $19.5 million, uh average salary. That's a lot. That's a lot of money for a guy who perpetually has been a decent player at best. He's been a solid offensive player. I would argue above average offensive player for most of his career. But defensively, he's average to below average. Now, is that a guy worth spending 19 million on? Probably not. By my estimation, it's not something I really wanted to happen. It's not a guy I was targeting to spend 18 plus million dollars a year on. But what are the positives here? Because I think what Knicks fans do know are the negatives. Spending this much money on a guy who doesn't truly move the needle, a guy who just could, you know, get buckets, help you be average, not really lift you up, not really drag you down. Isn't that the opposite of what we want? Don't we want to let our young guys grow and make the mistakes on the court so we can let them blossom moving forward? That's something I've said on this podcast for a long time, something I still feel true to, true to this day. But what are the positives from signing Evan Fournier? I'll tell you. He's a career 38% three-point shooter, a guy who has ramped up from four threes per game early in his career, reaching almost seven threes a game last year total, combining Orlando and Boston. He was averaging over seven threes a game before getting to Boston, um, which was more of his season than not. He shot 39% on said threes. So that off the jump is a obvious positive on the court transferable, this guy can put the ball on the court, he can attack the rim a little bit, he averages over 3 assists per game for the past 4 seasons and he's a career 38% shooter who got up to 7 attempts per game that's the obvious positive here with signing Evan Fournier it's the type of thing I talked about with Tim Hardaway Jr. in the past that actually came to fruition when he was playing in Dallas, yes his price tag was too high That number was bothersome to fans. You didn't like to see it. But that being said, his actual production can still net out to be a positive, can still net out to help this team. And when you think about a guy who, again, shot seven threes a game, that's not somebody we had last year at that clip. That's what this team was missing most. Volume shooting, spacing the floor, and more people who can put the ball on the ground and get their own shot. He also got to the line just under five times a game when in Orlando. I'm not even really counting the Boston stats because it was a really ugly go at it for him. He didn't exactly get comfortable next to Jason Tatum. He also got COVID shortly after getting there, and it just never really got right for him in Boston. So we're going to throw that out for now. But We've seen what this guy is in Orlando for years now. Now, is he going to light the world on fire? Absolutely not but he is a guy who can knock down jump shots higher and more efficiently than anybody we had on this roster. So I might not like 19.5 average annual salary, but I do like adding a guy who can let it rip from the beyond the arc and also attack the rim, attack a closeout, run a little pick and roll, make the right read, and on a team that has great defense as a team and good defenders around him, a lot of the things that maybe made him feel average while in Orlando can be hidden, and we can look at those positives and actually enjoy them as Knicks fans. So that's my positive take, because I think at the start of the day, the one thing I was saying was, damn, I really don't want to give Fournier 18-plus million dollars a year, man. Like, don't we know that this is not what you're supposed to do? But if you think about the full picture of this NBA, the full landscape of what a salary is right now. The cap didn't go up because of COVID and the pandemic and the money that was lost. With the new TV deal coming, the cap can go up a little bit. This is going to be an incredibly movable contract in the next three years. And worse comes to worse when Nerlens Noel's deal is up and Alec Burks' deal is up and Derek Rose's deal is up. Evan Fournier's deal is up if we want it to be because that fourth year is a team option. There's clearly a plan in place with where they're spending their money, when they're spending their money, and they're not out here to give 28 million to a guy who doesn't deserve it. I love Lonzo Ball more than the next guy, but if you end up paying Lonzo Ball 28 million, and now Julius Randle has 28, 30 million, and then RJ Barrett gets 25 million, you're now missing another elite slot, another possibility to get a special player. With Fournier at just 19 for the next three years, a guy who can be traded in the blink of the eye because everybody needs shooters, everybody needs a 28-year-old who can average 18 points a game efficiently, this guy could end up being a positive for the New York Knicks. And whether all that positive comes on the court in the Knicks uniform which it very well might as this team continues to grow and be solid on defense, being led by Tom Thibodeau. The true positive can also come from his contract that can get traded for future assets, can get dumped in a year for a first-round pick perhaps. There's opportunities that can help the Knicks team, again, whether it be Fournier in the Knicks uniform or what he can bring back in return in a trade. So was this the most exciting pick? Was this the most exciting NBA draft in Knicks history? Absolutely not. Not the most exciting by one stretch of the imagination. But how many times have the New York Knicks won the headline, won the back page, made the big signing for a guy who was over the hump, who couldn't get it done anymore? That's not the case here. We're talking about a 28, 29-year-old guy coming off two of his best shooting years of his career at the highest volume, who can help this team instantly on offense. He may very well be the best scoring option they have in the final couple minutes of a game, which may not be the best thing, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he is a positive offensive player in that regard. So I came in thinking I was not happy with this pick, but I'm walking away saying, I love where the Knicks' head's at. No rush. No big splash. Stay the course. Keep getting better. Stay flexible. The time to strike will be soon. It may be sooner than we know, but for now it's imperative to build on the strong season last year. Not fall down back into the lottery. Stay positive and stay patient. Because realistically, man... The Knicks do have a little bit of a luxury here in the sense that they don't have to rush. Being in the New York market, being the New York Knicks, there's always this feeling of they have to rush. They have to get the best player on the market. They have to do this. They have to do that. It's not the case. In fact, I would argue it's the complete opposite because of how they treated these situations in the past and how poorly it went, right? Think about how poorly things have gone for them when they took Derrick Rose on, you know, five years ago, not last year, but whatever it was when Przingis first got drafted. And when they made all those moves to try to make something worthwhile for Mello in his final runs as a New York Knicks. none of those things worked out. In fact, they set back the Knicks over and over and over again. And Kyle Lowry is an awesome player. Is he ready to help push this Knicks team over the hump? I don't think so. Is Russell Westbrook going to push the Knicks team over the hump? He might not even push the Lakers over the hump, right? So, If you're upset as a Knicks fan right now, I tell you to just remind yourself how things have gone over the past 20 freaking years of our lives rooting for the Knicks. You know, Will Barton's a good player. You want to give him 18 million right now? Sure. It's just like Fournier. But you know what you don't want to do? You don't want to give somebody who deserves 18 million 27. That's where you lose it. And that's where the Bulls, I'm rooting for him. Lonzo Ball, I love that guy. But if he ties up the books, I don't know if he's a max slot guy. Not that he got the full max, he didn't. But I'm just saying, he got more. He got a high number. You get Kyle Lowry, you go for Chris Paul, you go for these guys who have to help you in the next two years, right? Oh, After that, they they start getting 38 years old. You're going to trust them then? The Knicks aren't ready to do that. They're not there yet. They're not ready for the big, big splash. They have to work there. And we're going to talk about it with the Mets. Some of the frustrations with uh, what happened with uh, the Mets at the trade deadline. People are upset with Steve Cohen not doing more. Well, he's going to do more. He's made that promise, right? He did not need to do it all in the first year. The Knicks are ahead of schedule getting to where they got last year. If they just started to spend, spend, spend like they needed to get every possible piece to make a championship run this year, then they're delusional. So that's why I sit back here today and say the draft of Grimes and McBride at 25 and 36, the re-signing of Burks, Noel, and Rose, bringing in Evan Fournier makes me feel good. It makes me feel like Leon Rose's process is still checking out. Because there's going to be that time to strike. And it wasn't now for the New York Knicks. Because you know why? Kawhi Leonard wasn't walking through that door. (laughs) Uh, Not even a frigging Paul George was walking through that door. And if you were dead set on a Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry, just remind yourself to go look at that age. And remind yourself the Knicks are not the Heat right now. They're not the Suns right now. DeMar DeRozan might be the only guy left here who I would feel good about spending some more money on. But again, at a two-year clip. at a three-year clip, maybe with an option in there. And no more than $18 Because tying up those types of numbers for players who are over the hump or just not that good is where you get into trouble. Let's talk about Russell Westbrook for a second here, huh? Because Russell Westbrook, man, we've talked about him at nauseam in this NBA ether. In this world of... Just discussing basketball every single day, no matter it being the regular season, the playoffs, the offseason. We might talk about it more in the offseason. My initial reaction is, I wonder if people are going to be excited about this. Russell Westbrook to the Lakers? Yeah, it's a good headline. Does that work on the basketball court? Did we watch the Lakers last year in the playoffs? Now, granted, LeBron was banged up. Granted, AD was banged up. But didn't it seem like spacing was a big issue? It did to me. And guess what Russell Westbrook doesn't help out with? Spacing, man. It, it, he's not going to help with that at all. In fact, he hurts it actively. He's a really bad shooter, right? Well, let me try to do what I did with Evan Fournier and the Knicks with Russell Westbrook and the Lakers. What are the positives here? What are the positives? I'll say this. This is the bullish review on Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. If anybody in the league, of all this, and, and all the stars that Russell Wexbrook has played with, which includes Kevin Durant, James Harden, twice. We'll say once and a half because Thunder doesn't really count. James Harden, Paul George, Bradley Beal. None of those guys were able to reel him in enough when they needed to, when they needed him to not take an 18-footer with 18 seconds left on the clock in the fourth quarter of a close game when he's shooting terribly. Right? For him to not take pull-up three-pointers when they're down by five with three minutes left in the fourth quarter. Nobody's been able to truly get that out of him. There seems to be two months of every season where Russell Westbrook stops shooting threes and all of a sudden his efficiency goes up and everyone's like, this guy's sick. Like, oh yeah, look at that. He stopped doing the thing that he's really bad at and he's making a positive impact, right? So the bullish view on that is that if anybody in the world is able to reel Russell Westbrook in, calm him down, make him make better decisions late in games, it's LeBron James, right? Absolutely. That's the guy who has what it takes to look Russell Westbrook in the eye and say, stop that shit. Because I don't know if anybody else in the league could have looked at Russell Westbrook, said that, and it meant anything. And guess what? It might not mean anything to Russell Westbrook when LeBron says it because the one thing you got to say about Russ... For better or for worse, that guy is confident and he thinks he's the best player on the court. It's to his detriment most of the time. But a lot of times it's made him who he is. A really successful future Hall of Famer, perhaps. Right? That's the bullish view. The bearish view is the spacing's going to be terrible. He's incredibly inefficient. He's not a winning playoff player and hasn't been in a long time. In fact, he's been bopped out of the playoffs over and over again for years now. That could be ugly. He could be off the Lakers roster by the trade deadline, which is crazy to think about, right? This guy's been now traded three, four times. You never would have guessed that in a million years after he won an MVP in Oklahoma city, right? This is an experiment for LeBron and the Lakers. If this doesn't go well, you can guarantee guarantee shout out to Chuck that Russell Westbrook will be off that team, man. Because guess what LeBron doesn't do? Continue to play with people he doesn't want to play with. And if Russell Westbrook's out here jacking up threes late in the game, making terrible passes, missing a hell of free throws out here, LeBron's not putting up with that. He's not going to put up with that. So let me ask you this question here, because I don't know the answer to it myself, but I think I'm leaning one way. If you had to bet on one of these two things, what would you pick? Let's just say even odds. For the argument. Would you bet that Russell Westbrook is more likely to win a championship with the Los Angeles Lakers? Or more likely to not even finish the season as a Los Angeles Laker? Think about that for a second. Let that sink. What's more likely? The Lakers actually getting this done? The spacing not becoming an issue? LeBron and Russell Westbrook? actually getting along on the basketball court or Russell Westbrook getting traded again for what, the third time in four years? What's more likely? You tell me. I'm leaning one way. and I think you guys can tell which way I'm leaning. Other stuff quickly. You got a lot of guys moving and shaking. Chris Paul stays four-year contract in Phoenix. I have mixed feelings. It was obvious they had to do that. Do I think the Suns are going to see another finals appearance in Chris Paul's tenure with Phoenix? I do not. That being said, I don't know what better option they had. Honestly, I really don't. They got to retool. They got to figure out how they can pay Devin Booker, DeAndre Eaton, and Miles Bridges because they drafted so well. That's going to be an issue in a year or two. But if you want to truly give your team the best chance to win after making it to the finals, you bring back Chris Paul. And there's no other argument to be said about it. I think there's a 2K argument where feelings don't matter and fans don't matter where you can say, you know what, we it's not worth signing Chris Paul. Good run, but we got to do something else. But this ain't 2K. This is real life. Chris Paul has to come back to Phoenix. They had to chalk up the money. They had to do it. They even bring back Cameron Payne. Good for them. Off the top of my head, I'm putting them at like fifth in the Western Conference this year coming up. If we're talking about finals contenders, got the Lakers, got the Clippers, depending on Kawhi's health. I like Denver. You got Utah still in the mix. You got Golden State perhaps getting back in the mix. You got Dallas perhaps making another step with Luka Doncic being Luka Doncic, one of the top players in the world. I don't know how good I feel about it. But guess what? When you start the season in a couple months, you have Chris Paul on your side, you have Devin Booker, DeAndre, Miles Bridges, a bunch of good role players, and you think you have as good a chance as any and we just saw it this year, why not? One thing breaks their way, two things break their way. They could be back there, but I ain't betting on it. A couple more interesting things. Gary Trent Jr. stays in Toronto. That's the type of guy who I would have loved to target as the New York Knicks, but he gets paid, man. Good for him. He gets he gets a nice dollar amount, and he wasn't exactly available to many others. And obviously Toronto just traded for him. Duncan Robinson, shout out to the biggest contract ever for a undrafted free agent rookie or whatever you want to call it ever $90 million over five years. That's 18 million per year to a knockdown shooter guy who can shoot eight, nine times a game from three at a 45% clip. Just silly. The heat also brought in Kyle Lowry. They're exciting, but similarly to the Phoenix suns, are you putting them as a final contender as a true favorite in this game? I don't know, man. I think they're going to be better than last year coming off. The finals run, I think there was some fatigue there. I think they didn't have the same juice. They lost that Jay Crowder spot, uh, who was so big for them. But I don't know. Does Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Bam give you as much confidence as KD, Harden, and Kyrie? Or that Milwaukee Bucks team we just saw win it all with Giannis more confidence than ever? Chris Middleton with more confidence than ever? I don't know. But then again, if you're the Heat, You're doing that 10 times out of 10. You know why? Because you're right there. You're close. You're an injury away. You're one hot month away from making it to the finals. And that's why you do that as the Heat. That's why you don't do that as the New York Knicks. Because you know what we just learned in the playoffs: The Knicks aren't one hot month away from the finals. They're one hot month away from making the playoffs again. Like, that's it, right? So, you got to keep building it. You got to keep making the baby steps so then you get to the big step. And shout out to ex-Nick Great Bobby Portis. He probably could have got a bigger bag somewhere else. He only got a two-year, $9 million contract in Milwaukee. But guess what? Ex-Nick Great Bobby Portis, he ain't here for the money. He's here for the smoke. He wants all the smoke, man. Shout out to him because he was one of these weird players to, to root for. because like We didn't want him taking so, so many shots away from guys we wanted to see grow. We didn't want him to take minutes away from the likes of Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle and Kevin Knox and so on and so forth. But he did because he was like the best player on the team for the Knicks two years ago. So he's one of these dudes that you kind of rooted for. He played super hard, but you also kind of hated him. But, you you know, you, you kind of love him when he moves on. He's like, I'm happy you're, you're doing well, but I don't care that you're not with us anymore type of thing, right? So good for Bobby Portis. Proud to see an NBA player. Not just go for the big bag, but to truly love his basketball situation. We'll see if he can run it back in Milwaukee to see where they can get to, man. That's good stuff. That's pretty much all I got. It's only been one night of free agency, man. Dwight Howard's back on the Lakers. Tim Hardaway Jr. stays in Dallas. Blake Griffin stays in Brooklyn. Jeff Green leaves Brooklyn. That's an interesting one, by the way. Interesting one. You know? So, a lot of things are are happening. A lot of things are still going to happen. Over time, we'll see what happens with the Knicks if they make any more moves. Perhaps DeMar DeRozan being the highest-end player they can still attain. Obviously, they still got room for some lower-end stuff. We'll see what happens with our boy Frankie Smokes, Frank Nilakina. Looks like he could be on his way out of New York. Had a really interesting uh, poll on the Instagram at Subway Sports Talk. Said there's two types of fans in the NBA. Just two. People who love Frank Nilakina. And people who hate that dude. And guess what? That poll, man, was so accurate. 51% of fans said, nah, I'm good on Frank Nilakina. And 49% said, give me all the Frank Nilakina that you got. I want it all. And it's just amazing. That's That's fanhood in a nutshell. You have one guy who plays in your face for four years and half the fan base says, hell no, get him out of here. And half the fan base will literally take a bullet for that, man. <laughs> it's unbelievable. That's why we love sports. That's why we do it. Uh oh, man. Shout out to all you guys for listening. We got a great baseball segment coming up now. Talking Mets, Yankees, post-trade deadline, Mets frustrations, Javi Baez, Kumara Rocker. And on the Yankees front, we got Joey Gallo talk Anthony Rizzo, the Yankees still being the undisputed luxury tax champions of the world. Great great weekend for sports and almost none of it took place on a field or a court. That's awesome. Thank y'all for listening. Stay tuned. Cause if we ain't done yet. We got baseball coming up with Andrew Kalanya. Talk to him. All right, let's talk some baseball with our guy, the lone designated hitter tonight. Cause Alec Argento must be in the national league. He ain't DH in our lone DH here. Andrew Kalan, you're ready to talk all things baseball post MLB trade deadline, a wild week in sports, NBA draft, MLB trade deadline, NBA free agency right on the backside of that. The Yankees made big moves and those moves paid off quickly. The Mets made moves and that move paid off quickly and then all of a sudden it didn't. I don't know exactly what's going on in the world of Mets fans, but Andrew, you were locked in this mlb trade deadline what was going on in the world of andrew as all these things were moving and shaking it was kind of crazy wasn't
1: it oh my god it was the it was the craziest uh mlb uh trade deadline i think i've ever seen i've ever been a part of just like constant like big big blockbuster trades. there's always um there's always those always guys that always get rumored they're going to get traded and they end up don't, but like every single person that they said, Oh, this guy's on the move. This guy's on the move. This guy's going to be on the move. They all got traded and it was, you know, it, it was very hard to kind of keep up with, with all the news. Cause it was just coming, bam, 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 back after back. But the topic that I am most interested in actually this morning, um, when I was watching the uh, USA versus Japan, did you see those bullpen carts mm. that, uh, that they, that they're bringing the guys out in? I baseball like if there's a trade tra- acquisition that they need the Yankees need to acquire this bullpen cart <laughs> that Team USA was was bringing out it's a gigantic batting glove and the guys like, sitting in there they're just getting carted out in the field it's fantastic I yeah really hope that everybody everyone has a chance to uh pause the podcast open up google and look up uh, uh olympic uh, baseball bullpen cards because it's just it's just outstanding
0: it's been making the rounds on social media i've seen it and it is great and it just calls the likes of bartolo Colon. like bartolo is like all right you know what i'll be a bullpen pitcher now because now i know i don't yep. have to run in from this from the outfield i can just get carded in let's go this is lit that, that, that's oh. amazing i would love to see that in mlb because there's definitely gonna be a couple of hard-o pitchers who are like, yeah, you can carry like my stuff or my glove, but I'm gonna run next to the cart. Like someone's gonna, <laughs> someone's gonna be extra about it. That would be cool though in the majors. It'd be a nice little thing. Except with that, you get fans throwing stuff at the cart. That's what that's yeah. what that leads to in America. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely, Javi Baez can't take the bullpen cart in because Met fans will just just find another reason to just get so angry at him for. For I, I don't for know, I don't know the reason. For existing, yeah. that's
0: a good, that's a good yeah, job. Yeah, clearly, good job by you uh, on the segue front. Because let's get right into it. We have we have a jam packed show tonight. Obviously, a lot of things going on. So let's start talking about this right now. We're going to start with the Mets. We'll talk about uh, the Yankees after that, of course. And you know, it, it, throughout the process, we'll mix in the likes of Scherzer leaving the Nationals for the Dodgers, Chris Bryant not being the Cub who made his way to Queens. Rizzo making his way to the Bronx. All that stuff will be covered at least a little bit, but we're going to start and focus on the Mets for this very moment. And we were talking a little bit pre-show, Andrew. We're talking about Mets fans being like seemingly upset by this trade, right? There seemed to be a jolt of energy when Baez was first traded to New York. It was exciting. Everybody knows Javi Baez. He's a World Series champion. He flashes an amazing glove. He hits for power. But it seems like there's this moment in time now where Mets fans are sitting here, being a little bit too smart for their own good in the sense that they know he's not a perfect player. In fact, he's very flawed in one category that I sit here and say is very important. And all the analytic folks out here in the world will also say, not that I'm saying it first, but you get the point, is very Mm -hmm. important. His on-base percentage is not good. He doesn't get on base very well. And I think Met fans are looking at that and using their frustration, taking it all out on Javi Baez. They're taking out their frustration on Lindor on Javi Baez. All this guy has done is got here, helped win one game for us. And then we've had a couple rough ones for the Mets. And now we're all of a sudden, everyone's pissed at Baez for getting traded to the Mets. I don't quite understand it. So using your incredible baseball acumen, can you please give your two cents on this trade, what it means for the Mets, what type of player Baez is, and how he can impact um, winning baseball despite that big OBP number being not so big. In fact, being kind of little.
1: Yeah. And I, you totally hit the nail on the head on Met fans, taking out their frustration on Lindor on um, bias. Cause they see it as, Oh, we only got this guy because he's buddies with Lindor. And, you know, he told them to trade here. And, you know, if Lindor has a good uh, first half, I think you met fans would hundred percent spin it the other way around. It's like, Oh, Lindor, he's doing so great. Now he's going to bring his buddy here and they're going to, they're going to keep doing great things together. But now they see, you know, and Baez is, you know, he's Francisco Lindor light. He, you know, uh, minus, he has a little, he has a little more pop than Lindor, but he's a great defensive player. He's a very high energy player. Um, and he's got, he's got a lot of power. He's now tied with, he instantly became tied with Pete Alonso for uh team leader in home runs when he, by just, by just coming here um, and then hitting that, uh, that home run in uh, his first game, unfortunately, the Mets. Oh, they came back and won that game for tonight, but they haven't won uh, since then. And I think they're still losing right now. But uh, he's a he's a great player. He's a again. Everyone was kind of expecting Chris Bryant, and then you got you get Javi Baez, and again, he's not the perfect player. He's not um, a superstar. Uh, I you know I wouldn't call him a superstar. I would call him a very good baseball player. And I think that's what the Mets needed. They needed a spark on offense to be able to to uh you know kind of get it going and you know that and that's exactly who Javier Baez is he's a he's a high energy guy that will spark the club and as at you know if everyone in you know Chicago is right everyone in the clubhouse said that you know he's a beloved kind of a guy in the clubhouse too so it's not like he's going to come in here and pull a sespedes and be you know a kind of a pariah in the clubhouse I think he brings guys together I think it's everything the kind of Mets had needed since they've looked flat on offense for uh, a lot of the season. And then uh, th- another point that Met fans, you know, want to bring up that said, Oh, we, tr- we traded in one of our top prospects for him. But again, uh, uh, in Pete Crow Armstrong um, and, and, you know, while that's true, he was number five on the Mets uh, prospect list and he could traded, but the Mets have a, a lower third of baseball uh, farm system, right? They still have, you know, that's, if one thing that the Mets don't do well at the moment is, uh, you know, uh, develop players or there, there's there, you know, it's a new regime and, you know, them not signing Kumar rocker wasn't uh, a good oh. start to this new re- new regime, we'll but, um, Pico Armstrong, he's not the caliber. He's not like Met fans are going to see in five years. They're going to see like Jared Kelnick. Um, you know, that kind of type of player, you know, Pete Armstrong, he might be a an okay everyday major league ball player, but he's not a superstar level guy that Kelnick was um, when they traded him for Diaz and Cano. So um, I think it's a whole combination of things. Their Met fans are upset about the, the the prospect capital when they shouldn't be. And they're upset about that. He's not Chris Bryant or, they're upset that, you know, Lindor is getting his buddy when he hasn't technically earned, quote-unquote, I'm doing air quotes here, physical uh, motion on, a, on an audio podcast. Uh, you know, his buddy, for instance, he didn't earn it. Um, Lindor didn't earn it by, uh, you know, bringing his buddy over. So, but buys is a, is a perfectly defensible uh, move by the Mets, and, and I don't think they're going to come to regret um, picking him up as a rental.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because depending on – what where the vibe of the team is at the moment is going to dictate how you feel about this trade. If this mm-hmm. Mets team was a couple more games above 500, you know, not so injury ridden right now, the if Jacob deGrom wasn't hurt, if Lindor wasn't hurt, if Lindor wasn't underwhelming for a portion of this of this year, you look at this uh, pickup of Javi Baez and go, "Damn, what a great ad. My guy can play short if Lindor goes down, he can play second. like he used to play outfield in his day god forbid we need him out there he's sick out there too like he can play everywhere he's gonna hit 40 home runs this season he's gonna bat behind brandon nimmo and alonzo and dom smith and etc like these are all positives right but now because of the frustration of this team you know underperforming despite still being above 500 for now i say for now because it doesn't feel great right with that main factor of this underwhelming record in a shit division, it makes everybody only look at the negative. Uh, this guy isn't Chris Bryant. This guy isn't, um, you know, sometimes have a
1: higher base percentage, and right? They, or they didn't, or they didn't go out and get a pitcher. But then I ask you, outside of Max Scherzer and Jose Barrios, who is this top tier pitcher that got traded because there wasn't one? And first of all, Scherzer didn't want to come to the Mets. He didn't want to come to the Yankees either. Um, he wanted to go to one of the West Coast teams and you know there was a point where everyone thought that uh, you know he was going to San Diego we all thought that was a done deal then the Dodgers come out of nowhere and get him and Trey Turner, which is like kind of solidifies them as like uh, pretty sure that the if Dodgers. they weren't if they weren't if they weren't the best team uh they didn't have the most talented roster before and they definitely have the most talented roster now so like they're like the overwhelming favorites to. To, to be in the World Series and to make it, but like the Mets weren't getting Max Scherzer. And if you were gonna, and if you saw the pro, if you're upset about Pete Crow Armstrong uh, getting Javi Baez, you should look at the prospect capital that the the, the Blue Jays gave up to get Jose Ber- Berrios. And the Mets would, you know, that's gonna cost, that would have been the comp would have been Alvarez and Mauricio. And that's it. There's your farm system, Mets fans. Like mm. the, there was no way that it could happen. All the other pitchers that were out there, um, or Andrew Haney types. They were all back end of the rotation guys and the Mets have that had those in spades, you know. We got a, so our whole rotation
0: know, is back of the rotation guys right now. <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: exactly. You have Rich Hill, uh McGee and uh you know, Taiwan Walker and Stroman are coming back down to earth, and you know, they were always gonna come down to earth and Carrasco made his debut and he pitched pretty well. Like that's enough that's enough starting pitching to hold down the fort. Um, you know while they you know while you wait for DeGrom and Syndergaard to come back
0: yeah and um, I, you know i can't i can't lie like myself right like the first thing i did when i saw the trade uh rumored and then 5 minutes later it was basically true that's like how quick it happened here for the mets yep the first thing i did go to javi buys uh baseball reference page and i see a career on base percentage of like 302 i'm like oh my god that's freaking terrible like damn i did not realize his on base was that low like that's rough but then you think about this guy has had successful year after successful year with a team that, yes, they haven't won the title, what was it, 2016? So they haven't won a yes. World Series in five years, but they were incredibly competitive. And you could argue his two best years were after the World Series, right? Like 17 and 18 mm-hmm. range. So this guy has been on teams that have won a lot of games. It's due to his defense. It's due to his energy. It's due to his pop. And teams have won in spite of his lackluster on-base percentage. There's no reason why he couldn't help the Mets by doing the same thing. Now, if you go to Trey Turner's baseball reference page and see 322, 370 on the batting average and on-base, you say, Dan, that's the shortstop you really needed. Well, hey, that's not the shortstop we got. And plus, we're not looking for a shortstop technically. We're looking for just infield help and pop. And that's exactly what we're getting. The guy who led the Cubs in RBIs before leaving uh, just a couple days ago.
1: And and home runs, too.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, Chris Bryant comes to mind because obviously he was rumored. So that's, that's tough. You know, he, he has a much better batting average and on-base percentage. He's probably a more well-rounded hitter. He's also a really good defensive player who can play multiple positions. Now, listen, would I rather have gotten Chris Bryant on this team? Yeah, sure. But you don't always get the best thing. You don't always get Max Scherzer. You don't always get the number one guy on your list and to act like bias is going to actively hurt this team or actively derail the chances of them doing anything moving forward into the off season is just an overreaction to me and a taking out of the frustration on the wrong thing.
1: Exactly. I could, I honestly, I couldn't agree more with what you said and, 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 and Chris Bryant's a good player too, but people forget that like, 2020, Chris Bryant was, you know, he had a he had a pretty bad year in 2020, and you know he he's come back, at it, but he hasn't reached that uh, level that he was in 16, 17, 18, um and even 2019. So like, while he's had a pretty good year as well, but uh, you know, Bias has it, again, the Mets aren't looking for someone with a, a high on base presence. They have plenty of those guys at the top of the line. They're looking for someone. To give the clubhouse a spark, they're looking for someone that can that can uh, ignite the offense a little bit and give that that more that much more needed power. And you know, and while Bryant, you know, he still has double digit home runs, um, he wasn't a slouch at at the plate, but by is clearly that the the superior power hitter um, between the two. So, uh, and I I don't I get Mets fans wanting hoping to maybe get another bullpen piece or some, somebody up. But I, if you look, if you look at the roster at the moment, um, I, I don't, I don't see, you know, I don't see those deficiencies uh, that everybody else or, you know, the Met fan that is panicking that's uh, is seeing, you know, you have yeah. plenty of plenty of depth and, you know, plenty of other pieces that are coming together and, you know, the mostly healthy offense, um, you know, Brandon Drury was on fire since he got called back up. Um, you know, you got JD Davis back, and um, again, uh, basically the whole starting lineup is is good minus Lindor. And then once Lindor comes back, you know, you're gonna have you. What I assume what they're gonna do is they're gonna slide McNeil to back to third base. What he that was his original position when he came up. Um, and uh, and you know have a have a dynamic double. Play combo between Baez and uh, Lindor. A I damn think fun one. I think that's that's gonna be great.
0: Yeah, and you know what? The the big question mark here is what happens with that that spot that Conforto probably hasn't earned this year, batting one ninety. You know, but he he yeah. has earned over the course of time. Then McNeil gets put into that spot because Dom Smith is a lock, obviously. Nimmo is a mm-hmm. lock, right? So does Conforto come out of lineup? It might just happen. And guess what? That can give them options, and that means maybe if Baez is hitting like crap, like he, maybe he gets put pushed uh, to the bench a game, I mean, and that's going to happen. That's going to suck. It's going to piss people off more, but guess what? If the team's offense starts playing better, you're not going to care. Now it's going to feel like Baez will be in the lineup no matter what, and guess what? With all those power shots that he's hit this year, uh, Brandon Nimmo's 425 on base feels real good. Dom Smith's uh, on base starts feeling good. McNeil's 550 and climbing on base feels really good, et cetera, et cetera. You know, th- those are the things that start to become more positive when it's not just Pete Alonzo, who is the only guy driving and runs consistently on this team. That, and that's something that can be provided. So I think that's enough on Javi Baez. Um, on, on the Mets in general here, just as a quick aside, not aside, quick uh, roundup here, quick cap to what's going on with them, general vibe stuff here as well. There's a series going on right now at the Marlins. I'm trying to get the current score before I open my mouth here, but they're down 5-3. They're down 6-3 now in the ninth to the Marlins. They're supposed to beat them. They just lost a couple to the Reds, and it hurts. And and it's hard to pinpoint why this team is so crap when, when it feels like they should be taking advantage of a crap division. They should be winning more games. They should be better this. They should be better that. Is it as simple as chalking it up to injuries still, Andrew? And is there a point where that excuse is BS and you need to say something else? Because I'm racking my brain here every night watching them. They're frustrating. And then you realize Degrom has missed a handful of starts in a row is going to miss more starts. You realize that Walker and Stroman were so sick when the offense sucked, the offense picked it up. And now the pitching sucks again. Like what, what is it with this team? And like, how the hell does it go up from here? and, could buy as I guess just be that spark to give them the energy minus uh, a la Cespedes minus the cigarettes in the hallway.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Um, you know, I think the Mets are really fortunate that they're in the worst division in baseball. And, and while the, uh, while the, um, you know, the Braves picked up a couple of guys, like you can't rep, they've, they've had so many major losses, um, for the Braves, uh, you know, losing Acuna, losing um, the the other guy did the, the for, got arrested. Um, you know, their pitching has been unhealthy, so like, there's not really much competition. I mean, the Braves, I mean, they still have to win games here, but like, it's not like the um, the other teams are, are are just starting to get it together. The, there's every other team in that division is flawed and has holes and you know the nationals just tore it down so like you need to start winning you need to be winning your games versus the marlins and the nationals and they have those a bunch of those coming up so um i think you can be a little more optimistic about that but uh you know i I think it's when it comes comes to the pitching um you know walker and sherman again the the regression monster was coming for them no matter what Um, They were coolly outperforming the peripherals and they're, they're solid back end of the rotation guys. And Carrasco came back and he gave you, you know, a decent start for first time pitching in uh, like a year and a half. Um, So I think there's a little optimism there, but it's just, it's about all getting everybody on trying to get everybody at the same, on the same page at the same time. Um, That's easier said than done. Uh, You know, I, you have to hope that Rojas can, you know, bring the team together and, and get them all in, in, in one direction. Um, you know, but uh, I think Rojas is a better manager than Aaron Boone. So if you asked Aaron Boone to, to do something like that, try to get the clubhouse to together, um, you probably wouldn't be able to get done, but you know, from, I've seen from everything I've seen from Rojas, I, he seems like the, the players like him and the players respect him and, you know, uh, you know, take a couple of his, uh, funky, uh, bullpen decisions aside, I think he's been uh, above average manager. So, uh, I think you have to be a little bit more optimistic, um, you know, about the Mets going forward.
0: Yeah, I, I try to agree. I try to agree. It's frustrating watching them lose to the Marlins. It seems to happen all the time, whether the Mets are the best team in the division by far, or they're hanging on by a thread because the division's so crap. The Marlins can be the best team in division or the worst team in baseball. It doesn't matter. They don't seem to ever take care of business against the Marlins no matter what. And it sucks. And now they're going to lose game one most likely here. Um, Yeah, they're going – they're down three in the ninth. So they're on their way to not taking care of business again. It's incredibly frustrating. But when you really want to make your assessment, take your feelings out of it and just look at what's in front of you, what's real, what's fact – that is, they're still in a great position to be in the playoffs. And we know all it could possibly take sometimes is getting right when it matters most, getting hot at the right time, getting healthy at the right time. And if you're in the race, it's better than being out of the race. So you can only complain so much Mets fans. I it's hear
1: like you're yeah. Even if they lose to it, you're still five games above 500. You still have a, 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 a four game, uh Lee in the loss column to the Phillies. Who are worse than I thought they were, and the Braves are worse than I thought they were, and then you have two tanking teams in Washington. Like, the, if if somehow the Mets don't win the division, something will go horribly, horribly wrong, and I don't want to put that bad juju out. No, it's out there. In, All in, Mets fans in, are in, saying
0: it. It doesn't matter about the juju. It the the feelings are out. They're out of the cat is out of the bag. It's over on that front. Like th- those thoughts already crossed the minds of every Mets fan out there right now, Andrew, every Mets fan is getting flashbacks of the time. What did they have an eight game lead with a month left or something like that? And the Phillies came yeah. back and took the, the division from them. Like those things are ingrained in our heads as Mets fans and it's present here again. But like you just said, when you look at the big picture, when you look at the facts, there's still such a strong chance for them to play average baseball and make the playoffs here. Right? So as mad as you want to be, as much as you want to complain, this, there's still positives. There's still silver linings here to actually like have some sort of faith, some sort of faith, not a lot, but yeah. just like a little bit of faith here.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and what Cohen said, you know, before the deadline, he's like, I'm willing to go over the luxury tax, you know, but like the luxury tax at 210 million. So he's like, I'm willing to go to 240, you know, but I'm not willing to go to 211, you know, so it's not like, the Mets could have made, you know, unless you were going to make big splash at the big splash at the big splash, which they can't do unless you were going to uh, absorb all the money. But it looked like teams were looking for more prospect capital. The Mets just don't have that farm system right now. And that takes time, you know, right. to build up. And, and I think the Mets will be more active in free agency come the offseason, but nobody wants to talk about the offseason right now. So, Not like, yet. you know, there wasn't, there. you know, there wasn't... The, the big splash move i guess that met fans were kind of expecting right um you know to happen it's just not where the it's just not where the form system is at the moment and it's just not the it wasn't the right time and nobody wants to hear that especially you know being in first place uh, first place team and i know what that feels like being a yankees fan and and sitting there having your team which you think you know is you know it's just like a piece or two away from, you know, being a real contender and like the the team just doesn't do it, Um, you know, but you know, the, the Yankees, it was, you know, more of a payroll situation. I think it's the Mets. It's because they actually couldn't because of, you know, what their far system is at this current time. And I think the guys that you want to hold on to, you definitely want to hold on to and Alvarez and Mauricio, and you just don't want to give up those guys for, a rental right so it just like it alec, just...
0: alec used the term last week prospect hugging they're not yep. exactly prospect but, hugging no like they're the not yankees may have uh been guilty of over the past so wait real quick because we got to move on to the yankees here can we just do two minutes on kamar rocker oh god i know it's like it's like a another thing because <laughs> that's we didn't even mention that in the frustration of mets fans mixed into being upset with lindor and And Steve Cohen and now Kamar Rocker and the team being bad and injured or average and injured, whatever you want to say comes this first round draft pick. That was, everybody was so excited about one of the rare college baseball players that people just heard about because he was so electric at Vanderbilt, right? The Mets pick him, and they can't get a deal done. Now there's a million sides to the story. There's the Mets are being cheap again side. The Mets misplanned how they're going to spend money on their draft pick side. There's the Kumar Rocker hid his injury from um, the team side of things. Now I assume just me being the rational person that I try to be that it's a, probably a little bit of both, right? Like Kumar Rocker yeah. is probably not completely blameless in this thing going sideways. And also the Mets are definitely not blameless in the sense that they probably could have made something happen no matter what. And it, maybe they did make a mistake in their planning or allocation of a uh, draft pick money. So what is your take on this? Is it as big a deal as Met fans are trying to make it seem, or does this happen more often than we even hear about? And this guy happens to be a big name in a big market.
1: Oh, it, it's a it's a little column A, a little column B. I mean, you can one hundred percent blame the the people making the draft picks that if you know if they they were they were setting money aside to give him an overslot bonus because I think the slot value of the first round pick was like $4.7 million or something like that. And they're prepared to give him like a $6 million signing bonus. So that affects, so knowing that that's what it's going to take to sign him, you you're selecting other guys in your other rounds that, you know, cause you only have so much, you know, draft money that you can spend. So they're, you know, their second round pick uh, Calvin Ziegler slot value is 1.6 million. They signed him for 910 grand. So they 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 picked a second round guy not based on his talent but based on his uh, the fact that they could sign him and allocate that money for rocker well, what you should have done if you weren't a hundred percent sure on his medicals was sign someone else sign like a like a high. Uh, like an Andrew Volpe type guy who was gonna go to Vanderbilt or go to one of these um, SEC schools and be, you know, build up his draft status that way and overwhelm him and and you know select him in the later rounds and allocate that money to him to convince him to not go to school. But the Mets did not take one of those those high uh, profile, you know, high school kids you know, later in the in in the draft because you know, the, like what the Yankees did. Uh, last year they they selected uh, Jack Leiter in the 20th round um, and you know the they if they would didn't sign their first round pick they were prepared to give uh, Jack Leiter the, all of his bag. money yeah and, and to, for to reference Jack to not Leiter go to was Vanderbilt, just... and then Jack Leiter went second overall right. to the Rangers yeah I was saying, for, re- for
0: reference he was just the second overall pick correct
1: Yep, second yeah. overall pick and went to the went to the Texas Rangers.
0: So I think there that was a great job by you of kind of explaining how some of that stuff works. It's the most unique draft thing that we have going. I'm I'm sure there's another dra- maybe like NHL has a little bit of something going on there. Does the NHL have anything like that with their draft? I know it's weirdly like in the middle of the season
1: or something. Yeah, and they, they and they they pick college guys who are still in college, so they're right. still playing like active active college hockey while uh, being signed by the, the teams that draft him exactly. or, or so, in some so, of the other, some of the other like European leagues and stuff. Like uh, the hockey's, the hockey's way weird and we don't have time to get into Oh yeah. But,
0: but I'm just saying, I didn't want to <laughs> neglect another yeah. draft that's unique, right? Cause the drafts that yeah. we know most are the NFL draft and the NBA draft. Now what they've recently added to both NFL and NBA drafts are the um, possibility For players to enter the draft, basically, and not sign an agent, and they can pull out before it actually happens. That's the most intricate it gets at NBA and NFL level. The two drafts that we pay attention to most. At the MLB level, it is a completely different story. There are so many unique scenarios. Like Think about the Kyler Murray one probably being the most famous in the past decade plus, maybe ever. Right where he hmm. was drafted incredibly high, what number four overall by the A's, and then drafted yep. number one <laughs> to football. So like, you know, that's unique, right? But hmm. th- that's a great job by you of explaining the intricacies of why teams try to do what they do. The Mets definitely are not blameless for that exact reason of those that money allocation. That being said, Andrew and I, you, you kind of tried to cover this, but not definitively. Is hmm. this that big of a deal? Now, I know it sucks to lose Rocker, or possibly lose Rocker. You don't know what's going to happen to him moving forward now, but Mets fans are clearly upset by this. Is this yeah. a Steve Cohen? Like, does he deserve to get arrows shot at him on this one? Uh, is this, like, a huge miss by the Mets? Like, where do you land on the gravity that this could ha- uh, could bring?
1: I mean, Kumar Rocker was has has eight ace-like potential on the upsides, and clearly it's not a money thing it's not steve cohen being cheap you know uh that tweet that he sent out um
0: education time as
1: as 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 off-putting as it as it may be um i i don't think if there wasn't something seriously wrong with his medicals that um that they wouldn't have moved forward with it so and, and you know and that's on Rocker. Now they have to go back to Vanderbilt now, prove that he's healthy and see if he can uh, do better than the $6 million that, that apparently um, was going to get allocated to him in this draft. So, you know, if he blows out his elbow or his shoulder, then the Mets will look okay. And, you know, I don't wish that on anybody, but um, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that that's, that's what happens. And, you know, the Mets, it's not like the Mets lost this pick. They're going to get, they get a a one, one pick lower. So they get an 11th round pick in addition to their first round pick this year. So they'll have two first round picks going into next year's draft with uh, that money, with that extra money allotted um, to them. So they'll have plenty of time to, um, you know, pick a, Two two first round type talents uh, next year, so it's not a, a complete loss.
0: And you said eleventh round, you mean eleventh overall?
1: Eleventh eleventh overall yeah. pick. That's so a, uh, Rocker was the tenth overall pick. Yeah. There now he's the which 11th is another thing
0: pick. where to me it was like okay, this totally sucks. You don't want this to happen ever, but let's not act like this is a franchise changing thing where they couldn't. No, they don't have another opportunity to make the pick next year. So is what it is. Let's move on. Got to talk about the Yankees right now. Cause we did probably 10 more minutes than we should have done on the Mets there.
1: So you know, we, we short the Mets a lot on the podcast. because me and Alec are both Yankees fans to begin with. So I feel like the Mets get shortchanged a lot. So I feel like this was a, this was a good uh, evening point. So let's, uh let, let's get to the Yankees.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I have this inclination to zag when I hear just a bunch of people whining a lot. And all I did over the past two days was hear Met fans whine. So I honestly came on this podcast, just annoyed from hearing all the whining which is why I came out like, all right, guys, come on. I know it's not the best. I know there's a lot of shit to point to, but there's Mm -hmm. still things that you got to hang your hat on and say there's possibilities for this to get better. So I'm probably not even the best guy to have talk Mets on here because we probably want Mm -hmm. that passion of negativity. Like I probably need to get Frank on here to come here and and yell about the Mets, but that's (laughs) not what you got here tonight. Maybe we might get that right now, but actually, sorry, last week we would have gotten that probably on the Yankees. But today, we don't have to get that, Andrew. Is that so? Anthony Rizzo, very exciting. Joey Gallo, probably wasn't enough by himself. I heard a lot of whining from Yankee fans when it was just Joey Gallo getting traded to the Bronx. Now that Rizzo is there as well, the excitement seems to be back. The energy is full for in, in the room for the Yankees, for players and fans alike. Are you feeling good? How how good are you feeling, I should say? Because I know you're feeling good. How good are you feeling Post deadline, with a little bit of boom, booming energy in the Bronx. If uh,
1: if I was gonna give the the Mets a a grade at the deadline, I gave them a B. So if I'm gonna give the Yankees a grade, I'd probably give them an A minus. You know, I the biggest problem with the Yankees offensively was they're all their right handed hitters, and when they got Gallo, everyone was just like, oh great, we have one, you know, solid left handed hitter. That can fit in the middle of the lineup, but then when they trade for Rizzo, we we're like, holy shit! Now we have two legitimate left-handed hitter, uh, left-handed bats that can be legitimate threats in the lineup and balance out the lineup. Like a, a one through five of Lemayhew, Gallo, Judge, um, Rizzo, Stanton is like a that's that's a line that's a that's a solid that's a solid one through five as anywhere in in baseball. Um, I give them the minus because, uh, as, as everyone saw, um, we posted on the SST uh, Instagram page that uh, Yankees luxury tax champions, and they are still the 2021 luxury tax champions, everybody. They, um, so the Cubs paid all of Rizzo's salary. The, um, the Rangers paid all of Joey Gallo's salary. The Angels paid all of Andrew Haney's salary and the Yankees had to continue to give up um, decent prospects. Uh, I won't say that, that, you know, the Yankees have one of the better systems. So they have these glut of lower level guys with, you know, decent upsides, but they're, they're you know, three or four years away from the bigs at most. And a lot of times those guys fizzle out and, you know, that's the kind of trade that you make um, if you're the Yankees. But at the same time, you didn't even have to give up those guys if you were just willing to take on the salary and Hal Steinbrenner uh, cashman came out and said, you know, how was, you know, he was willing to go over luxury tax. Clearly he wasn't. And I'm getting tired of Hal Steinbrenner peeing on my leg and telling me that it's raining because it, that's, <laughs> it's just not, this is not what's happening here. Like I'm like, he thinks Yankee fans are dumb and uh, it, that I think that annoyed me. You know, as happy as I am to get Rizzo and Gallo, and to actually get those meaningful upgrades that I guess we were clamoring for for the first half of the season, just kind of that just it it leaves a a a little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth after the fact, knowing that you didn't even have to give up the guys that you gave up is if is you know if the Yankees would have just done what the Yankees were supposed to do and just take hey, on a couple extra million, right? That's yeah.
0: So could could so you that, argue though? I mean, uh, I don't know. I guess it's a a six of one, half a dozen of the other situation. Could you argue that's good business as well, though, to save the money? Because then that could, in theory, make them feel more comfortable about spending more freely in the offseason? Like, is that a possible zag that makes sense here? Or is it simply like the Yankees did everything in their power again to make sure they saved like a couple million dollars?
1: Because the luxury tax, it's not... It's a taxation after you go over the fact. It's not a taxation on the two hundred and ten million dollars. It's a taxation on what you go over. So it's a, and the Yankees would have been like a third time offender. But the, you know what the Dodgers? Dodgers are are, are uh, a third time offender. And you know what they did? They they added Max Scherzer <laughs> and, and Trey Turner. Turner. Yeah. <laughs> and they they were they were they're at the upper upper of the luxury tax. They said, you know what? Winning World Series is more important and more than, profitable. Say, th- and profitable than saving money it's it's uh, and and that and that's where the side comes
0: that's where the side comes yeah so that's fine i think that's important to get out of the way first because it's not something to me to be neglected by Mm. yankee fans and baseball fans alike and you know what's funny too to to give a quick cross-board comparison as i tend to do it's perfect timing Mm. because nba free agency is going on right now and go for it can you just imagine like a true hard cap in baseball. Cause like there's a hard like not it's not a hard hard cap in, in basketball because of uh the flexibility. If you re-sign somebody who you already had on your team, you can go over, etc. There's still a luxury tax situation for basketball too. It's a little more cut and dry though. Like you don't have teams operating in completely different realms. Like in baseball, you have the Dodgers operating in a absolute different universe than like 12 to 18 teams in the league, which is just insane. The Yankees are somewhere still towards the high end of that universe, right? Like they're, they're only uh, a a few planets away right now from the Dodgers. And it still feels like there's a huge gap between where they are and the Dodgers are right now. I just can't even imagine in other sports, like that allowance to take place. It really makes baseball unique and it makes it almost hard to, to ever feel sympathy Towards a team like the Yankees or the team like the Dodgers, because you look at a team like the Rays, whose payroll is what, like is it sixty percent,
1: something like that? Is it sixty it's, percent? It's, like- it's under. It's it's, uh, and, and but that that's the thing too is so that you have all these these owners that are running the teams like a like a like it's their only business, but they should be treating it like it's like it's they're playing real life fantasy baseball. You know, and they just like the Dodgers are doing They're playing like it's real life fantasy baseball. They're playing to win. They're playing to, you know, keep their competitive window and they're making smart moves, too. So they know Corey Seager going to be a, a free agent at the end of the year. So, yeah, this, the, even taking on. OK, we're going to take a hit now, but now we have our shortstop for next year. We now have trade term. We can let Corey Seager walk at the end of the year. So this is going to be a free agent. And now we have our shortstop and that we don't have to go out and sign somebody we have yeah, it. we have like ch- it's like a chess it's like a chess move pressure. honestly they're, yeah it's it's crazy it's crazy how well the dodgers are doing they're they're performing at this raise like level where they're just developing all this talent but then they're acting like the mid 2000 yankees and they're spending and spending and spending like it's that's the team you want to root for that's the absolute like perfect situation and i know when cohen came on um, for the Mets, not to bring it back to the Mets, but that's the type of organization that he wants to build. And that's exciting to, you know, it, it's a, it's a rough going for, for the Mets at the moment, but that's the type of organization that he wants to build. And it's the part of the reason why they didn't go out and, and make the trades that Mets fans wanted to make. Cause you're gutting your system. You want the, you have to build up the system first and then you have the guys to go spend. So that, that's, and I feel like that's how baseball should, baseball teams right should be run.
0: And that's a good and not point the way,
1: and not the way that the, the Yankees are currently being run at the moment.
0: Yeah. The Yankees are kind of like teetering at this high end point without making the splash that you build for that moment. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in theory, Steve Cohen, you could say is doing the right thing by not rushing to that point of overspending because they weren't ready for it yet. Right. The Yankees have been teetering that point in theory, they should have been waiting for this time for this moment. Maybe exactly, or maybe it was last year. Exactly. Or, you know, COVID year aside, perhaps, but Mm -hmm. um, that might have been the year for them to make that splash. You kind of sit, 2019, you sit below the luxury tax for a reason. So when it's time to go above, you let it rip, right? So, hey, listen, there's frustration on that front for sure. But at the same time, this team just got better overnight. And that is exciting in many other ways. And there's juice, there's juice amongst the Yankee fans that was all friggin' rotten sour a couple weeks ago. So let's talk about the on the field product here. Obviously, yep. Anthony Rizzo showed up and showed out in his first mm-hmm. couple games as a Yankee. Joey Gallo not so not as much, but you know you know what you're going to get more or less as a hitter from Joey Gallo. Not an amazing average, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of monster dongs, just dingers from this yep. guy are on the horizon. That's just who he is. He hits bombs, and they should come anytime now. He's already made a good throw, I think, from the outfield. He's a good outfielder, very mm-hmm. good one, honestly. So, let's talk about the on-field product. How much more confident do you feel about this team's playoff odds and just being competitive now that the team has restructured a bit?
1: Oh, the, the, I, I honestly, like, getting getting those two guys and being those major pieces, like, they didn't just get, like, a Jock Peterson, like, left-handed guy. We are like, okay, you can bat in the lower part of the order. And so, like, you got two legitimate middle-of-the-order lefty bats to balance out the lineup, and, like, it makes – their lineup, I I think the best in the American league. And I, and that's not, you know, verbatim, like, uh, it's, 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 it's so satisfying to, to see them address that weakness, regardless of the other factors that, you know, I brought up beforehand and I I don't mean to sound like the Debbie Downer and Pupu, uh, Yankee fans, excitement out getting Rizzo. And, you know, you saw, you know, the fans today, there's Italian flags raving behind home plate when Rizzo's batting and like, uh, Every, every time the, every time the Yankees hit a home run, all the, all the Italian Yankee fans are doing the, the gabagool uh, hand gesture every time, like they do something. So it's, uh, you know, it brought back, you know, it reunited uh, the fan base a little bit. And, you know, the, the, the balance in the lineup is just exactly what you were looking for. for it, it brought back thumbs down ends. vibes. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It really did. So, you know, the on-field product that I am, you know, Watching Rizzo hit that like 460 foot bomb in Miami was like the most satisfying way. And I know Gallo's going to get going too. Um, you know, and he's the type of, you know, and I'm kind of very relieved that they didn't, you know, trade Luke Voigt, even though he was kind of rumored. I think he was like the only guy that was like rumored that didn't get traded at the deadline. So now you have potentially, now they they played standing in the outfield tonight in the American League. I feel like, um, Whenever Void comes back, you're gonna have this ridiculous lineup uh, with uh, Gallivan Gallowin left, Judge and Center Stanton right, Rizzo, uh, LeMayhew, Torres, Rochelle, Sanchez. Luke Void is the full time DH. Like that's just a a stupid lineup in terms of power and on base. And you know, there's gonna be you know there might be a time where they strike out 20 times a game. Um, and that's you know, that's not even like me exaggerating. They they might literally strike <laughs> out 20 times a game. Um, but I think you take it, and I think you absolutely that's what you need. You know, tonight's results, uh, mm-hmm. unwithstanding them, get losing uh, six to one to uh, to the Orioles, which is uh, Se- a pretty yeah. bad, pretty bad look.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to, I'm not going to be Debbie Downer right now because it's not me, I'm just going to be the bearer of bad news. I don't know if you just saw this on your phone. No. Garrett Cole just tested positive for COVID nineteen and is gonna miss his start tomorrow. Mother <laughs> Oh my god. No, sorry, I don't wanna laugh because I get serious. And hopefully he doesn't get bad symptoms and he's back before we know it. And no other Yankees get COVID, obviously, but you know, we just flipped from the negative to the positive and then I had to I had to tell you that, Andrew, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: oh, my dick, man. Oh <laughs> god. <laughs>
0: Need your balls rubbed now. Somebody needs their balls rubbed. <laughs> you
1: brought you brought it full circle for the last podcast. My man. Oh, that sucks. That sucks so much. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, let's let's not talk we'll about see, that we'll, right we'll, now. Though, yeah. No, we'll see. Well yeah, again, um, I think he's vaccinated, so uh, I'm pretty I'm ninety-nine percent sure he's vaccinated. So hopefully if he's not showing any symptoms, he'll only miss a start. Right. He's not gonna be like judge. Um you know, I'm not going to get into it from, from all intents. It looks like he's not, he wasn't vaccinated and he missed the uh, majority of the most important stretch that the Yankees uh, needed him. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So like that's hopefully, a, it that's all it you got to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's exactly. That's so, so hopefully, so hopefully Cole only misses started too, but right. Um Yeah. That, ah, that, 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 that stinks. A, that stinks. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who's gonna to start tomorrow then. Yeah. Um, you nope. know, and th- the thing is uh Jermond went just Herman just went down and he was pitching really great. Tyone just won AL uh pitcher of the month. He he pitched to like a one point, like one seventy RA for like the month of July. So he won AL pitcher of the month and he's been pitching great. And Montgomery's been pretty consistent all year. So those guys have been pitching pretty well. And uh, Cashman said Severino and um Kluber will be back anytime between the last week of last week of uh, August and the first week of September. So, um, you know, I don't think you can count on those guys, but um, you know, obviously losing a Garrett Cole in the same way that the Mets lost to Grom, um, a setback that that's never a good thing. So,
0: yeah. So yeah, um, it could be, it could be worse. It could be worse for sure. So let's uh, put a bow on the Yankee stuff here. And I just got to ask you this question because there's been contention points with the Yankees lineup, Uh, for a while now, for years, you can argue, when they decide to stick Brett Gardner in the four-hole just because they needed a righty-lefty, righty-lefty action. And Yankee fans are furious. It's like, do we really need a lefty there that bad that we're going to put Gardner at the four-hole? Like, it it was definitely a point of contention amongst Yankee fans if Uh. it was absolutely necessary, if it was something that had to be done. And now it has been done in the right way, seemingly. Now, take me through this real quick, because when Gallo first got traded over before Rizzo, I got the sense from Yankee fans that that same frustration still existed. Like, okay, another guy who's three outcomes, he's going to strike out a crap ton, he's going to hit home runs, and he's not going to really change the dynamic of this lineup. Do you believe, though, now that it seemingly was done the right way with the addition of Rizzo, that this was absolutely the right way to go? Like, just say Rizzo was a righty. Would you be, same exact player, same exact statistics, would you feel like there's a big difference there? Like, how do you feel, basically, about the Yankees' adamancy if that's a word to go righty lefty now that they actually have the pieces in place.
1: Well, I think, I think it does make a difference. And even, even though Rizzo's game, it's power on base and he doesn't strike out. I think he, he now has like the second lowest strikeout rate on the team coming in. So I think it's like a 15% in Gallo in comparison, Gallo strikes out like 32% of the time. And that's a career low for him this year. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Judge and Stanton strike out around 25 to 27% of their plate appearances. And Anthony Rizzo strikes out like 14, 15%. So he's the, he's the, you know, patient guy who gets on base and he just always makes solid contact. So he's the, he's the type of guy you do want. Um, I think him and Gallo were the two best, uh, and you know, him and Turner, obviously those were like the three best position players that were dealt. Um, at the deadline and the Yankees got two of them and just so happened that they're, they're batting lefties. And, and again, um, you hit the nail on the head on a point of contention by Yankees fans. Cause I, i bitched on this podcast many a time about Brett Gardner batting third, DD Gregorius batting third, just for the sake of left-handed, like those guys again, or Aaron Hicks batting third. Um, those guys had, you know, those are all, they're all nice baseball players. And I like Aaron Hicks more than uh, I know Alec does and I know a majority of Yankee fans do but he had no business batting third uh, in the Yankees lineup so putting Gallo there putting rizzo there in the middle of that order is just it's it's exactly what you want as a as a Yankees fan and and, um, and it's not like they're miscast there's a type of guys those are middle of the order bats and they just sink in so well with the rest of the team and I again I know Gallo is a high strikeout guy, but he also plays excellent defense. And he also hits the, the ball just all over the field. He's not even just a pull hitter. He, he does great against lefties and righties. And he doesn't have a platoon split. Like he's, again, you live with the strikeouts because that's what the Yankees do. But um, he's exactly the kind of player that you want in the middle of the order.
0: And now remind me of that graph you sent to our group chat of uh, Gallo's projected balls in Yankee stadium. What are the, oh, actual- no, that,
1: was, that was Rizzo's Rizzo. Oh, that was had-
0: Rizzo's.
1: That was Rizzo's. I thought that was Gallo's.
0: Cause I know, you know, there's a lot of talk about the short portion right field. And I'm one to say it too, with the lefty bats, it makes a lot of sense for them to, to sneak a lot more home runs than they would in other stadiums. It just is what it is. How much of a factor but- may that actually play?
1: Oh my God. The, the left, those two Gallo hits will hit the ball anywhere, but I think, the chart showed that Rizzo would have had just just this year ten more home runs than he has if he played his all his home games at Yankee Stadium. Like, uh, wow! You know, and Chicago's Frigley, a pretty big
0: one. Yeah.
1: yeah, And you know the wind blowing in and all that stuff in Chicago that those knock those balls down all the time. So you know, those just regular high popouts um, it's going to benefit Rizzo so much. And you know and it's been it's been a couple of years since the Yankees had a legitimate left handed bat in the lineup. So I feel like um, Yankee fans are like actually really excited because that's how, you know, the teams of the early nineties, you know, they had that lineup balance and people like the clamor for that nostalgia of, you know, have when the Yankees had like four switch hitters in their, in their lineup at the same time. So yeah. I think and, and two, two, le- two legitimate left-handed batters, uh, you know, plus you can always pinch hit Odor who's, you know, as much as I, Complained about him earlier in the season. He's, uh, he's come around. He's actually one of their more hotter hitters. So you actually have legitimate, like, I think they, they could have, I think the last game in Miami, they actually went like righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty all the way down the lineup. And I can't remember like the last time they'd like actually done that. So with purpose um, too, not just because they yeah, said they
0: could not, because, yeah, <laughs> not, exactly. not just because they could, but actually not, it, with it wasn't it
1: wasn't Tyler Wade batting third, yeah, you know, so it was, uh you know, the, the guys who shouldn't be there, uh, you know, Tyler Wade's and the Brett Gardeners and the O'Dors are batting lower in the lineup where they should be and not being missed typecast uh, batting second and third every time just because of their handedness, um, you know, so they kind of they took those they they they've you know, Brian Cashman forced Aaron Boone to play with his toys um, correctly here. So that's uh it's it, it's a it's a welcome sight.
0: Which goes back to the point that even if Gallo and Rizzo were righties, they're still three through five guys in the order. That's just that's just Absolutely. who they are.
1: Absolutely, it's who they are as Absolutely. baseball
0: players. So good stuff. All right, Andrew, anything else you want to add here before we say goodbye on the baseball front, Mets, Yankees, anything you know, MLB related in, in general, maybe?
1: Now, just just look out for you know uh if you do have you know if you're if you're more of a baseball fan and focus outside of just new york baseball definitely you know keep an eye out of the the nl the nl central you know the dodgers west the giants surprisingly who got chris bryant and you know the podgers they all made varying trades at the deadline and that's like That you know, that's the that's the appointment baseball that I'm watching when I'm not watching the Yankees is just keeping track of what's going on in the NL West. So uh, you know, everyone should definitely be uh, tuning into that.
0: Yeah, there's there's one big three in this whole MLB right now, and it's the NL West. You know, the Yankees can make a little run here, and then you can argue that the Rays, Red Sox, and Yankees are as good as any three in baseball. But right now, it's the NL West or nothing because they are just they're 360 win teams already the Padres and any other division would be, you know, first or second. And that's, a except for the, except for the Hellies, actually, they would technically still be third, uh, but they're, they're an awesome team. So great yeah, stuff like there.
1: The, yeah. Like the Dodgers have a better run differential than the entire American league central. They have a plus one sixty five, and the only team with a plus run differential in the AL Central is the White Sox with one twelve. Wow! Everybody else is negative run differentials. They have a better like they're just three just stupidly good teams, and San Francisco just coming out of nowhere um, and doing that is just so surprising, and it's um, you know it's fun to watch. So watching Buster Posey. Turn back the clock and those guys too is just uh, it's a lot of fun. So everyone should be tuning in to, to those teams whenever they can.
0: Here's my tidbit and, for you, Andrew. And it goes. Oh, what's up?
1: Sorry, one last thing uh, about the deadline. What the what the hell were the Colorado Rockies doing? And you were talking about guys that weren't dealt, Trevor Story and John Gray. They just they you know they're both free agents at the end of the year, and See you know the, the the amount of guy you know the guys that were getting traded for rentals like their teams were getting legitimate prospects for rentals and then the colorado rockies hold on to trevor story and john gray i have no idea who's running their front office and what the hell they're doing that's my last point
0: that's been one of those things that if you listen to any like mlb podcast not like just your local podcast uh Mm -hmm. you hear you've been hearing about the rockies front office for for a little bit now of them just doing who knows what who knows what yep my last tidbit is also NLS related. Did you know, Andrew, that the Los Angeles Dodgers are one and 10 in extra inning games this year? One really? and 10. They're 21 games above 500 right now. And they're one and 10 in extra innings. If they were just 500 in extra innings, they would have really, man, the best record in baseball.
1: Yep. And that's how good the Dodgers are, that you can be one and 10. Usually like. That kind of thing like sinks uh a uh you know a team season a little bit or like makes them, you know, puts them in like uh second wild card contention but like Dodgers are still 20 something games, 21 games <laughs> above 500. Oh. That. That's that's wild. is that that's, silly? A, that's that's a nice little stat to end the podcast with.
0: There you go. Not too shabby. Um and all right, so that's all we got. Nick. Andrew, thank you so much. Shout out to Alec. I'm sure we'll... I, I wanted Alec here... Honestly, I didn't even want to hear him talk about baseball. I wanted him to show our listeners his really, really impressive ability to talk himself into stuff. And <laughs> there's no better time than Alec talking himself into stuff than post-NBA draft and free agency. Like, I know it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, it's 11 o'clock on Monday night. The, uh, the Knicks signed... Evan Fournier just a few hours ago. And I know for a fact that Alec already talked himself into it being okay. <laughs> uh, which, you know, uh, man. it's a different segment on the pod where I uh, got into Evan Fournier, of course, because there's not all positives from Evan Fournier. But Quentin Grimes is our guy forever now. Miles McBride, welcome to the club. Deuce McBride, that's our guy too. And I wanted to hear Alec just talk himself into all the Knicks moves. It's just, It's a beautiful thing when he does it because he could be a terribly pessimistic fan. And then he can also tune tune up the optimism just, like ju- like no
1: Just just chug the like uh, <laughs> do like a funnel of the Kool Aid exactly. And just, just just put it to, inject it directly into his veins.
0: All right, man. Andrew Kalania at underscore Swarles Barkley on the Twitters and the Instagrams, of course at Subway Sports Talk uh, on Instagram and on Twitter at Subway Sports Talk TLK. That's all we got on the baseball front. Cheers, buddy.
1: Take it easy.